Today's reading is from Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through to 13. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen our hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Andrew, very much for reading that. And um, I'd like to do something I've never done before, but I figured because um, it's our first one back, you can get away with anything on the first one back. Uh, I wanted to give an addendum to last week's sermon. Uh, we, uh, we've been going through Matthew's Gospel, and we're taking a break from that this week because this is a, a kind of unique service in and of itself, but next week we'll be picking up again um, in Matthew's Gospel. But last week, if you took part in the service uh, online, we were looking at the passage where Jesus forgives the paralytic, and we were thinking about forgiveness. We were reflecting on forgiveness. And since that ser- sermon and um, uh, passage and the opportunity to think about forgiveness, a lot has happened in the world, and a lot has happened that I wish had happened beforehand so I could have said something in the light of forgiveness. So if you'll forgive me, I just want to say something on it now. At the moment, we seem to be in the middle of what is being called a cancel culture, a cancel culture. And the cancel culture is that when people do something which is perceived as wrong or inappropriate uh, or unjust, uh, the rest of people cancel them. They either have to leave their job or be shunned from society or those sorts of things. And what's what's happening is that, um, and it's sometimes historic, it's sometimes something that someone said or done many years earlier and yet it comes to the fore again and consequences happen. It may be something that was said verbally, it may be something that was written on a post on social media, it's something portrayed on screen or in some other way, Uh, and even though it's historic and it might have been a very different time in culture, now people are being sacked and programs are being removed and statues are being defaced and people are being ostracised and isolated. And there could be a fear amongst people that God might treat you as we are treating, as human beings, other human beings. I.e., you might have said something or done something, and it may have been historic, it may have been something a long time ago in your past, and a fear that you've got that God will cancel you. Because that's what the cancel culture is. It's, you're, you're dead to me. Go, go away. There's been a lot of apologies done this, this week by lots of different people, and those apologies don't seem to have achieved anything. Uh, they're still shunned or out, or God doesn't, God doesn't operate on a cancel culture. He operates on a grace culture. And it's not that the things that we do don't matter. They do matter. They matter so much Jesus died on the cross. But God operates from a grace culture. And anyone who comes to him with faith and repentance, saying, I'm sorry, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that's mine in Jesus, is forgiven. I'm I'm worried a bit about this culture. 
I really do think that as Christians we're entering into a new phase where um, we're going to be once again even more out of step with the world around us. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I think over the last 20 years that the catch cry in in the West, the most important quality that people were said you must have was tolerance. It was tolerance, and Christians were, were hammered, really, by the non-Christian world for being intolerant, because the, the highest quality we're supposed to have is tolerance, and Christians, who didn't agree that all opinions and uh, beliefs are equal, and they said that there are truths that are true and things that are not true and all that sort of thing, we, we were told we weren't tolerant enough. Now, they were wrong. Because tolerance, somehow people had thought that tolerance was agreeing with everything. That's not tolerance. Tolerance is being able to live well with those who you differ with. And Christians are the best at that. So we were accused of intolerance, but we weren't. But we were out of step. I think we've changed. That was, that was the last 20 years. This cancel culture, the new highest virtue is not tolerance, it's intolerance. The cancel culture is all about intolerance and you cannot put up with people who've done certain things or said certain things. Well, I hope as Christians we are once again out of step with the world because the way we treat our enemies, the way we treat people who have wronged us and done things wrong, I hope will be very different from that. Not that there can't be consequences because loving your enemies doesn't just mean, sometimes it means discipline or punishment or those sorts of things, but it changes the whole attitude, your attitude towards people who've wronged you and done, done things that you think are wrong. I hope we will be out of step with society again because we won't be as intolerant as everyone's saying we should be and must be. I pray that our words and deeds and tone and temperament as Christians will not just reflect our personal preference but will reflect the gospel of grace. I pray that will be us, and I pray that the Lord will be glorified as you and I speak and as we post and as we respond. I pray that we would do it in a way that endorses that gospel of grace uh, rather than anything else. Anyway, that was just a thought I had during the week. Next sermon, let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be here together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so good. It's been great to sing your praises with people who can sing, uh, with musicians who can play, uh, and even in this, well, Ryan loves it, but this hall with its acoustics, and um, it's been such a joy. We pray that now as we think on your word, that you would use it by your spirit to speak to us. Father, one of the difficulties in a group like this is all of us are in a slightly different place. We need a slightly different word, but you're the great physician. You're the one who knows us inside and out. And so by your spirit, Father, use your word to build us up, to encourage us. We pray this, Father, in confidence, knowing who you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back together. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. And so let me ask you, as we're back together, how are you doing? Really, how are you doing? And no one may have asked you that yet, since the big change that we've experienced has got back to what's supposed to be normal, but may not feel normal. How are you doing? Uh, Today has rightly had, uh, uh, I hope, a thankful and joyful tone. Gathering is one of the, the huge important privileges we have of being Christian. And so we haven't been able to gather. Now that we can, there should be a joyful and celebratory, celebratory I just invented a word, celebratory tone to today. That is a, a good thing. 
But I know that there are many here today, and some who can't be with us today, for this very reason perhaps, for whom joy and thanks is not the full picture of how they're doing. How are you doing? This has been a very strange time, hasn't it? It's been, in many ways, an unprecedented time, and it's affected everyone differently. Everyone's been in different situations and therefore had different experiences. People have had different feelings and fears, different reactions and outcomes. Some people have had a chance for reflection and an opportunity to think and consider. Other people have been busier than they were normally. Uh, Mitch spoke before of some of the, uh, the frontline workers, some of the stress and the busyness that they've gone through. Some of us had, have had opportunities for things to bubble to the surface because it's been a quieter time and for unaddressed issues to confront us. Others of us haven't really had that chance because things have been so much on the go. Today as I speak, there will be some of you here this morning who are in a really good space. You may have loved lockdown. There are a number of people who loved lockdown and I can see why. The, the quieter pace of life might have been just what you wanted and needed. A reduction of normal responsibilities, be they professional responsibilities or personal responsibilities. Less time driving on the road. <laughs> that was a joy. Uh, less busy. You might have a home that you love living in. You may live with people that you love living with, and you may not live with people you love not living with. It may have been a great period for you. Or you may have loved life since the lockdown levels have come down. Getting to see loved ones again that you couldn't, and that's changed everything. Being able to enjoy, again, nearly all the freedoms and uh, privileges that we have up until the lockdown period. There are some who've loved lockdown and adapted really well to the return to non-lockdown life. That may be you today, doing really well. If you are, great. That's fantastic, and I rejoice with you. But there will be others here this morning who are really struggling at the moment because this has been a difficult time. For some, it may be because of employment, financial concerns, loss of job, uh, or very grave uncertainty about what the future may hold. For some, relationships have worsened over this time. Cracks that may have already existed have widened, or perhaps relationships where we didn't really know there were cracks, now there are certainly cracks appearing. For some, I mentioned just before, life has been good because you love your home and you love who you're living with. For some, it's the ab absolute reverse, the horror of home life. Don't enjoy the home. Don't enjoy who we're living with, or don't enjoy who we're not able to live with. Or this period of time may have brought up a lack of meaningful, loving relationships. That's been highlighted at this time in a way that it, that it, it wasn't before because you could uh, just be busy and, and forget about it. For some people, it's brought about problems that they already had, made it manifestly worse. We read of people with alcohol problems and drug problems and domestic abuse. For some people, their anxiety for the future has escalated through this time. Or the personal failures that they've experienced just feels heavier. And then on top of that, once the lockdown levels have reduced, returning to full responsibilities, professionally or personally, has, has added stress to the mix and has been doubly troubling. And I, I think the extra burden for people that are, are feeling in this way is that you feel like it's the opposite to what you should expect, that 
coming out of lockdown should make life easier and yet you're feeling it's actually worse and so you think, well, what's wrong with me? I'm, uh, there's, there's something going wrong or the, the situation's worse. And then add to that the fact that the world seems to have gone mad over the last couple of weeks can be even more destabilising. Well, however you're feeling this morning, I want to speak to you today about hope, Christian hope. Ollie, is that Ella's middle name? All right, that's good. Ella's first service here, her middle name is Hope, and it's about hope. She should always remember this, always. Uh, I'm a bit like Carol, who came up and spoke um, a few minutes ago. The only other time like this I remember is post-earthquakes. I'm like you, Carol. That time that we met at St Paul's Lutheran Church after the earthquakes for the first time when we hadn't been able to meet. How many people were at that service? Yeah, a good chunk of people. Uh, That too was a time where there was great joy at being back together because it was the first time we'd been able to meet together since the earthquakes and there was a great joy, but there was also a weariness. There was also worries for the future. There was also a a bit of a bleakness that hung over us. And so I checked to see what I preached on that Sunday when we gathered. And it was hope. It was hope. And it feels to me that this is a similar time. And therefore I hope this is a similar, uh, rightly timed message. Hope is all about the the future. It's all about setting your horizon uh, to what's to come. If you think about the great Christian triumvirate, faith, love, and hope, they all have slightly different timing. Faith is looking back. That's what faith is. You look back and remember what God has done for you, primarily in the Lord Jesus. That's what faith is. Love is present. It's how you live now uh, in, in the moment, loving God and loving neighbor in particular. Hope is future. It's looking forward to what God has promised is ours, promised that he will do. And the future is always important as to how you live in the present. We don't always think of that intentionally, but it's true. The future should always affect the way you live now in the present. If you only think life, uh, if you only live life reflecting on the past, and there are some people like that, looking back to the glory days or the, the bad days or whatever it is, but looking back to the past, you will have a greatly diminished life in the present. If you only live life in the moment, and this is my personality, so I know the problems, there's some strengths to it, but there's some some severe limitations and problems to it. If you only live it in the moment, you will have a greatly diminished life. You've got to think about the future for how you live now. If you don't think about the future, you'll never set goals. You'll never prepare for what lies ahead. You will never uh, allow your ultimate destination to affect your journey on the way there. The the future and hope, therefore, is very important. And hope for Christians is all wrapped up in the sure and certain return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And more than that, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation that will one day be ours. Those two things are absolutely rock-solid, sure going to happen. Jesus is going to come back one day, and we will live with him in the new creations. And hope is a major theme right through the scriptures. The confidence that Christians can have for the future. The knowledge that because God is in control, that future is assured. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but if you don't know that God is in control, you can never be sure and confident about anything. 
It's only because he's in control that we can have that confidence. We can know that our future is assured. And right the way through the scriptures that the importance of hope is seen. I think it's the main theme, hope, of the letter that Andrew just read us a little part of before 1 Thessalonians. If you know that letter, you'll know that Paul wrote it and he's writing it to a church that he began. He went to Thessalonica, he preached the gospel, some people became churches and a church started in that place. But there were enemies of the gospel of Jesus who ran him out of town. And so he writes this letter, writing to the the, the new Christians, the new churches that had started there, worried about how they're going. Are they going all right because I got run out and I haven't had a chance to see if they're maturing and going well in their Christian life? And you can put yourself in the position of Paul. You'd be worried about them, right? I hope they're not being attacked by the same people who ran me out of town. I hope they're still trusting in the Lord Jesus. And so he writes this letter. And in the reading that we heard, Paul has been so worried, he sent Timothy, who was his co worker, his brother in arms, he sent Timothy to go and check on them. Timothy, go there and see if they're doing all right. And Timothy has just come back and brought a report of how they're doing. And Paul writes Timothy's return with good news about their faith and love. But he doesn't mention the third. Now, earlier in chapter one, he's already talked about faith, love and hope. So it's not as if he wasn't thinking in these three terms. But why does he say Timothy's come back with great news about their faith and love? Because in terms of faith and love, the Thessalonians are going well. But in one area, they're not going well Christianly. And that was their hope. And if you know the letter of 1 Thessalonians, it's all about the return of Jesus. It's all about what happens to people who die before Jesus gets back. It's all about, in other words, hope. Well, I don't think it's just the the Thessalonian Christians who struggle with hope. I think Christians, many of us today, struggle in this area as well. For some of us, we don't bother thinking about Christian hope, certainly pre-COVID-19, because we love the here and the now too much. We don't even think about the future because we're getting on with life here. And when you're in a good place in the present, you don't really see the need to focus on the future. You don't need to focus on a good future to get through a really good present. But friends, when we don't do that, it makes us weak as Christians. There's a really good quote from C.S. Lewis, if you know him, in his book, uh, Christian Behaviour, where he writes this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I think it's an excellent quote with things to challenge us with. And before the COVID-19 situation, I think our Christian hope was a neglected part of many of our Christian lives because life here was so good. Life was full of distractions and things that take our time and our energy and our thoughts and our focus because we've got toys and we've got games and music and computers and money and houses and boats and Netflix and lots of other things. And hope was a massive problem for Christians, especially in the West, because why hope for the future when the, when the present's so good? But in the last few months, that's changed for many. And I think hope is now difficult for many people, not because life's so good, but hope is difficult for many Christians now because life's got a whole lot tougher and harder. And so 
All, but all we become consumed with is the difficulty of the now. As we've faced changes, as we've faced financial uncertainty, as we've been isolated or realised that some relationships were not what we thought they were, as we've gone stir-crazy at home, or as we've recognised that there are parts to our lives we hate and are totally dissatisfied with, hope has dwindled. But friends, it doesn't have to. Christian hope is something that is sure and certain and it's wonderful and it should affect the confidence we have in our present circumstances. In a few moments we're going to sing a song which, um, uh, which is pretty common here at St Stephen's. We sang it a lot after the earthquake. It's actually a song, I'm not as keen on the tune, but I love the words. I'm fussy. But I love the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. They are wonderful words because they're words full of truth and power. The hope for a Christian is sure and certain because it's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If the hope was up to me, you can't have confidence in it. But if it's built and based on Jesus' blood and righteousness, you can be absolutely confident of it. Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. It's that sure and certain. Our, and, that, and our hope is in the world to come. Jesus will return and the new creation that you and I will enjoy. And the Bible is unapologetic about how good that new creation is. And sometimes the world goes, well, that's just pie in the sky. You're, just, you're wanting to believe something that you want to believe in. No, we're trusting God's promise of what it is. And it is wonderful. It's, it's this world... Sometimes people talk about heaven as if it's going to be boring, or the new heavens and new earth is going to be boring. I remember people saying, well, you're just going to sing God's praises all the time for eternity. I've got to say, when you get together after not being able to do singing praises, it's been pretty good this morning, hasn't it? I don't mind if we're going to be singing eternally, as long as I can pick the drummer. (laughs) But but it's not just going to be singing God's praises for eternity. The, The new heavens and the new earth is described like this one, yet without sin and the consequences of it. This is a great world, ruined by us, ruined by sin. Because even creation itself is groaning since Genesis 3. Sin's caused all the problems. The new creation is, is this without the problems. Creation will not be groaning. Relationships with other people will be perfect. Relationships with us and God will be perfect. Death will be no more. Sickness no more. Tears no more. There'll be a safe, secure home. There's no safety or security in this world, no matter how good you try, how much you try. That that's what we, that's our home. My true home is the new creation with the Lord. Your true home is not here in your address. It's the new creation with the Lord. And as soon as that's in your head, that affects how you live now, decisions you make and actions you take. If it's not in your head, it will affect the way you live now. If you don't have that hope, if you don't know with certainty that's where you're going and that's what the Lord has provided for you, then it's very easy to lose heart. You will lose passion for evangelism. You'll only be focused on helping people in the here and now, not helping them for eternity. You'll stop praying, thy kingdom come, with any real meaning. You'll use your finances only for the here and now, not for eternity. If you lose hope, you lose perspective. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Do you see how important that is? Our hope for the end will direct our priorities and preferences and plans and actions now. And I want to encourage you today to let it. Whether you're feeling good about the right now or not so good about the right now, let hope direct you. I want to encourage you all today, as I've been encouraging myself, because I'm not very good on this, to, to live hope. Hope helps. That's my theme for today. Hope helps. You'll remember that. I, I want you to do a Jamie. Uh, I, I don't have many. I'm not very good at illustrations. But everyone who's been at St. Stephen's will have heard me give the illustration about one of the weird things about my wife, Jamie. Because I've used it before, but I, I've used it before because it's good. Because it's true about her. It's true about reality. And everyone remembers it. One of the, one of the, I remember the first time I found out a strangeness about my wife, Jamie, after I was married, because this is so weird, this was probably a game-breaker. I wouldn't have gone through with the marriage if I'd known this <laughs> and true. It's true. Um, I found out that Jamie, when she starts a book, reads the end first. That's flippin' weird. It's not just with books, though. She does it with movies. So if you're going to sit down with a... I'll be back in a moment. She Googles the end of the movie. She does it with TV series. TV series can run for like seven seasons and you find out the end before you do the beginning. And I said to her, that is so weird. Why, why would you do that? She says, when I know how it ends, I can relax in the up and downs and the twists and turns. Don't say yes as if that makes sense. <laughs> this is weird. But she, look at all these people getting defensive of your point of view, which is nonsense. No one, no one should do that. Jamie's got many fine qualities, and over 25 years I've adopted a lot of her qualities because I want to be more like her. But this is weird and odd. <laughs> Don't do it. And I remember thinking it was weird and odd until I, until I realised that's what God's done for us. God has told us the end. Find it. It's literally at the end of your Bible. He's given us the end for exactly Jamie's odd kind of reason so that you can cope with the difficulties of life now because you know how it's going to end, so that you can relax and have confidence as you and I go through ups and downs, and we will go through ups and downs because we know where we're going to end up. And that hope is so important in helping us chart a course of life and make decisions of life and take actions of life. Let the end influence us now. Hope helps. Hope is so important. Hope is what's given Christians the ability to persevere through difficult times. There are some philosophers, non-Christian philosophers, who believe that part of the way that Christianity became the most popular uh, religion in the world, this is their kind of language and speaking, was people seeing the way Christians coped through times of trial. And they coped because of hope, because they knew it wasn't the end. Hope helps. Do you remember those words from 1 Peter? where it writes, in his great mercy, this, that's God's great mercy, in God's great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's what Peter writes. You have a living hope that came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and it's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade and God's keeping it for you. You have an inheritance that you cannot possibly lose, that will not break or be lost, and God himself is keeping it for you. 
That's your hope. That's where you will end up. That's what you've got to come. I asked at the beginning, how are you going? How are you going? If you're going well and you're in a good space, I am so pleased for you. I am delighted for you and I'm really thrilled. But make sure in the middle of these good times, you don't forget the end and let the end affect how you live now. Don't just slip into this world and the present influencing you. Let your hope dictate some of it. But I want to speak especially to those today who are finding things difficult. And I want to say let your hope encourage you and strengthen you. I do think times are going to get tougher for Christians in the West. I I think that. But the church normally flourishes when we're persecuted, when we suffer, because we hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope we have in eternity all the more tightly. And that will happen. If you think there's no end in sight, there is an end in sight, and God wants you to know it. Look at the end of the tunnel, because there is a light there. And that light is not just a a glimmer that we can't make out in the distance. That light is not just a dim, fuzzy light that barely has any effect on the here and now. It's not just a a tepid glow that could change depending on weather conditions or other factors or circumstances, that light is the Lord Jesus Christ and it's dazzling. And that light is the light of the world who will one day return and make all things right and ensure that you and I spend eternity in the new creation with him. We know the end. We know our end. We know how it all finishes. We know the glory that awaits us. We know the price it cost God to win it for us. And we know that he will finish that work uh, in us and take us to the end. We know it can't be taken from us. It can't be lost, can't be shaken, can't be stirred. And he's holding it for us. Hope helps. And so this morning I want to encourage you, live with hope, brothers and sisters, in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your son the way, the truth, the life. We thank you for what he's done for us in the past. We thank you for his spirit which works in us in the present. And we thank you especially this morning that one day he will return and we will live with you in the new creation forever. And I pray, Father, that for all of us this morning that that hope we will know with certainty and confidence and it will affect the way we live now, whether we're loving life at the moment, or whether we're really struggling. Father, we thank you that you've told us the end, and we thank you that it's so good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.